This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. The title of my message today is called I Am Worst. I Am Worst, the Worst. And it's immediately when you see a title like that, there's a part of us that recoils and say, What? How can you say I am the worst? Because we have grown up and we understand the concept of self-image. You know, it's true that only in the last couple of hundred of years have people understood the concept of individual rights. And so uh, people never really connected their self-worth or self-image necessarily to their individual performance. But it was more of a group. It was a family thing or a national thing or a tribe type of identity. Now we have this personal identity, and we never want to be told that we are bad. We never want to be told that we are wrong. But there is something called original sin. It's something that the Bible teaches that each and every one of us inherently are born with sin. It is as if we had a disease that was passed on to us from our father and mother. We have had a disease passed on to us from the original father and mother, Adam and Eve, original sin, meaning that our nature, our volition, our natural bent is to sin. And there's parts of us that we've grown up to not believe that. We want to believe that we are inherently good. We are made in the image of God. And so we recognize we have these God qualities within us. But it doesn't change the fact that There's an original sin within us. And you're going to see in today's text that Paul understood who he was without Jesus. And that changed his behavior. Humility. The salvation we've received from God must be received with great humility. And that's the premise of my talk today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 12. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, this is the Apostle Paul who is writing, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul recognized his sinfulness. He claimed right there, he said, I am the worst. I am the chief of sinners. And because of that, I have praise and worship to the Lord. This passage means so much to me. I look at that scripture in verse 2. It says, I thank Christ Jesus the Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful, appointing me to His service. When I first started speaking, you know, when I would have an opportunity to speak, they, w- they would be very infrequent. And, and as time goes on, they became more frequent. Now, I think I added up, I spoke 70 times last year. 
because that, as a pastor, as a primary speaker between Sunday and Wednesday, there's a lot of speaking that happens. And at the beginning, at the beginning, speaking was more and more rare. And I remember, and I wish I still did this at times, I would read 1 Timothy 1-2 every time right before I took the stage. And I would, I would say, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful. The opportunity to share his word. The opportunity to serve him. The opportunity to be in the ministry. That opportunity is something that should humble us. Now the church I grew up in, we had a group of men that were the power center of our church. These guys, they were known as the ushers. And at this particular church, all of them wore matching maroon blazers. And the the, the place they would get their blazers, they, they went through two doors that were locked. And I kid you not, there was a mahogany type of coat hanger that you'd kind of pull it back. It had a certain smell to it. And there all the maroon blazers would be, be waiting. And they would have the name of the usher. And these ushers, they were like an army. They knew when to stand, how to stand, and, and they would take up the offering. And, and there were some, some altars at the front. They would march down to the front, and they would lay their offering on the altar, and we'd pray on it. And then, in unison, they would all turn at the same time, and they would march out. And they were an intimidating group. Now, as a child, what would happen was, sometime during the sermon, because on Sunday nights we didn't have children's church, it just so happened that every week, I don't know why this was, but I had to go to the restroom right about 15 minutes into the sermon. It just... It might have been coincidental, but that's just how it was. I don't know why. So I would get up and I would leave. And these ushers with their maroon jackets who had marched out together and had gone to the secret vault to give the money to God, they would stand outside in little huddles. And they would stand out in these huddles. And I know, I just know that they were talking about important things. Scripture and theology. Some of them would have... Diet Cokes in their hands. Others had visited the vending machine. But the thing they were really good at, they were really good at interrogating those of us who had to go to the restroom, especially those of us under the age of 18. And I just thought, someday, someday I want to be an usher. I want that maroon jacket. I want that special conversation and the power of harassing children. So, so in that context, we wore suits to church every Sunday. Parenthetically here, I'm wearing a suit today because I'm doing a wedding after this. And plus, I like to throw you guys off. I'm like on a two jeans and a suit kind of rotation. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one Sunday, I was a, a teenager, and I had a tie on, dressed kind of nice, and one of the maroon men came up to me and said, Aaron, how would you like to be an usher tonight? And my heart almost skipped a beat. He took me to the mahogany mahogany coat hanger. I got one that fit me, and I, and I was nervous, but I passed the plates. I walked down to the front. I prayed. I went back, and I even got to hang out with him for a few minutes. It was a huge thing, and it was an honor to be a part of it. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. It wasn't nine months later, maybe a year and a half, 
that I was hiding from those same men because I didn't want to be an usher. I felt like a dork in the maroon jacket. My friends were making fun of me. And it had totally lost its appeal. So here's a question I have about this. I want to talk to you about service in the church. When is it that service goes from a privilege to an obligation? Because it happens. You know, even in reflecting on this passage, sometimes I, with the amount of speaking I do, I can become cavalier or take the privilege lightly. And so it is with the church. That first time Steve Kohler gives you the orange vest, it's pretty cool. The first time Pastor David hands you the van keys, you know that on youth trips, whatever sponsor has the van keys, that's a powerful thing to have. Well, when you have the van keys for a trip, that's great. But when you have to drive to Gallatin to pick up families that aren't able to drive to church, somewhere it goes from a privilege to an obligation. Being an usher, being able to handle the offering, being able to prepare the communion, being able to mow the grass so God's house can be put first. It starts out as a privilege and then it becomes an obligation. I believe that when we remember what Christ did for us, when we remember that we are among the worst of sinners, that if it wasn't for His grace, if it wasn't for His church, if it wasn't for His body, we would be destined for hell itself. And I just want us, I want us to never lose the wonder and excitement of leaving a VBS class. I don't want us to ever take for granted what it's like to be on the prayer team and, and be able to pray with people. Because we, you are not serving the church at Indian Lake. And you are not serving Aaron and Beth Allison. When you do something for the body of Christ, you are serving Jesus Christ. This is His body. And out of a reaction to His love, and a reaction to His grace. We serve, and we serve Him. If we're not recognized, if we're not thanked, if we're not appreciated, it doesn't matter. Because we are honoring Him, and we are honoring what He's done in our life. What's the key? Look at verse 2. I thank Christ Jesus who has given me strength, that He considered me faithful. Faithful means you fight through the drudgery. Faithful means you can be counted on. Faithful means your word means something. Faithful means that you're going to do what you said you would do, when you would do it, and you're going to do it unto the Lord. That's what being faithful is. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When we are faithful, then we are strengthened. Often we say, God, give me the strength, give me the grace, give me the, abil uh, the ability, then I'll be faithful. But there's a power, there's a strength, there's an anointing that comes on you when you begin to be faithful to what God called you to do. 
When you begin to do what He has called you to do and you stay on course and you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, there is something that happens. There is something that, there's a, an empowerment that comes on your life. There's a strengthening that comes on your life. And that's exactly why last week we learned Paul told Timothy, stay put, stay put, keep doing what you're doing. And now he, he gives a little insight. He's talking to Timothy and he said that God has given me strength. He considered me faithful appointing me to his service, verse 13, even though, I kept saying two, but I meant to say 12, I apologize. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. In other words, he's saying, listen, if God used me, he's going to use you. Timothy might have felt disqualified. Timothy wanted to quit. Timothy wanted to give up. But Paul said, listen, God used me, who was a chief of sinners, even though I was a blasphemer, even though I persecuted the church, even though I was the most unlikely person for God to use, God used me. God has given me strength. He has considered me faithful. And if He did it for me, He can do it for you. You stay right there and you keep working. You keep doing what He's called you to do. Keep being Faithful. God is looking for faithful people. That's what He's looking for. Now, a term I use a lot, and I have the right to use again, is volunteers. Volunteerism is a good buzzword in in our society as a whole. If you'll remember a few years ago, Colin Powell, he started a volunteerism type of campaign through the government. And to be a volunteer, that's an in vogue word. And we use it, and we'll use it again here for church members, but can I tell you this? You're not a volunteer. If you follow Christ, you're a slave. You're not a slave to this church. You're certainly not a slave to another man. You're not a slave to me. But you are a bondservant, a slave to Jesus Christ. And you have exchanged your rights to be His servant. And you do what He says. We are duty-bound servants of Jesus we're not volunteers. We're slaves. We do what He asks us to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. Our opinions don't matter in light of the truth of Jesus Christ. He is our leader. He is our servant. We are His hands extended. We are His mouthpiece. Our feet go where He wants us to go. And that is what faithfulness is. What I love about faithfulness is you don't have to be smart to be faithful. You have to just keep showing up. You don't have to be talented or gifted to be faithful. And in fact, some of us who are talented, gifted, and smart, sometimes it's harder for us to be faithful. We have to develop habits in our life that, that produce faithfulness. You don't have to be well-connected to be faithful. You just have to find that opportunity that God has for you and say, I will be diligent. I will obey I'll do what I'm supposed to do. You see, I'm not giving this message today for my benefit. We've already passed out clipboards and had sign-ups, and so we're not going to have a, a, a let's get volunteers for Indian Lake Day now. I'm, I'm, I'm giving this for your spirit's benefit. When you become a faithful servant of the Lord, if you become, it's going to bring you strength. I thank God who gave me strength because He considered me faithful. When God begins to see that's someone I can count on, that's someone I can depend upon, that's someone who is is diligent, that's someone who is faithful, there is opportunities that are going to come. There are open doors that are going to come. You know, there's no such thing as luck in the kingdom of God. There are opportunities, and when you're faithful in the little things, God will make you ruler of much. And you just keep being faithful. You might feel that you are 
not noticed and obscure, but in one day, God can do what he did with Joseph. He can take you from the prison to the palace. Can I tell you, God's promotion is a lot better than man's promotion. I'm living proof of that. God, did, God tripled my ministry in one Sunday. And that was him that did that. One Sunday he did that. I kept hitting the wall of the church I was pastoring. It was like, we'd have 184, 185, 188. On Easter, Easter of 07, we had 197. And Pastor David's family from out of town slept in, or, or one of them. <laughs> and they had the right to do that. But I was like, Ugh. I was like, four more. We would have put 200. And then on one Sunday, we're running 350. Because this church hired me and God did a miracle. Because God can promote in one's... He can make up time. But it's faithful, faithful, faithful to what He's called you to do. Faithful to who He's called you to be. Don't give up. Quit whining. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Complaining and bickering. Just show up and do your job. And that goes with your relationship with the Lord, first of all. Devotionals don't have to be spectacular. But be faithful to them. Be faithful to prayer. Be faithful to a relationship. It's just like the relationship with my wife. Every day is great, but not every day is spectacular. We've had average meals. <laughs> the food was exquisite. But I'm talking about the conversation. <laughs> Every day. There's a, there's a breakdown to every analogy. Oh, Lord, it's in your anointing. But part of relationship is when you move from, you start out dating in the relationship and, and it's just from a wow to a wow. And then you get into the daily relationship and there's a beauty in what is normal and regular. There's a beauty in just the rhythm of walking together. And, and honestly, that that I knew I had a great relationship with Beth is when I was able to drive in the car in a certain amount of silence and there wasn't that uncomfortable kind of small talk stuff or let's turn on the radio because we were just comfortable being together. And so it is with our relationship with the Lord, being faithful just to show up, faithful in your prayer times, faithful in your devotional, faithful in your tithe, faithful to your church, faithful to your part of the rotation, faithful to your marriage, Faithful to your parenting assignment. What about this? Being faithful to your word. That when you give your word, it says in Psalms that a righteous man keeps his vow even when it hurts. That's why the Bible says our, we should simply let our yes be yes and our no be no. We should be such people of our word that we don't have to swear. I swear to you. I promise. Now, some of us do that because language gets sloppy, and you, you might even hear me say that, but the heart behind that is this, is we should just be able to say, no, this is my yes, this is my no. What about the word ministry? Isn't that a great word? I think we, we got in a little trouble with the word ministry when we put INC period after it, ministry incorporated. If you go back and you look at the original word for ministry, it means service. There's nothing spectacular about the word ministry. We have made it an idol. We have made it something that God never meant it to be. Ministry means hard work and service. 
and for this former blasphemer, for this person who persecuted God's people and even told the king, King Agrippa, that he was a persecutor. He said, listen, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst of sinners. But yet, God has considered me faithful. If you're taking notes right now, number two, our recognition of our sin should lead us to service to God. Now, five times in the New Testament or in Paul's writing, he said, here is a trustworthy saying. And in other words, he was saying, here is something you should remember. Let this be memorable. Let this be a part of your vocabulary. Let this be part of your thought process. And there he says it in verse 13. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. We know this. We know that Jesus did not come for people who have it all together. Jesus did not come for the righteous because even the most righteous person fell short of a holy God. In Mark 2.17 Jesus said this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Paul said, I am I am ahead of the line. I am in first place. I am the chief of sinners. And we can look at the empirical data about that in the book of Acts. And he killed people. And he tried to spread persecution. And we could all agree, yeah, Paul was a terrible sinner. But that's not the point of what Paul said. He said, here's a trustworthy saying. I am a sinner. I'm the worst. And you ought to think the same thing of yourself. Everybody's like, whoa, how can you say that, Aaron? That messes up my self-esteem. That's what the book of Ephesians is for. It says, I'm adopted, I'm chosen, I'm predestined. But... On the other hand, there's a humility that we should have. That we did not use self-will and determination and and a change of our behavioral patterns and become a Christian through our self-will and process. You are the worst of sinners. You understand that? You are number one sinner. There's not a sinner in the world that's worse than you. That's what this is saying. There is nobody on this planet who's sinned worse than you. And now our natural mind begins to give a hundred objections to that. What about this person? What about that person? Whether it's an historical figure, whether it's someone who violated you, whether it's someone that um, you know sin has affected more people. But see, that's the whole point. You're getting your eyes off onto other people instead of on your own sinfulness. Your darkness. Your sin. You need a personal Savior. Without Jesus, your destiny is hell. It doesn't matter if... We could rank you as a sinner and you are 4.5 billion people ahead of the rest of the planet in your good works. All of us are sinners and we all need Christ. And when we begin to understand we're the chief of sinners, there's a humility that comes in our life. And all of a sudden, something happens. And here's the point, because this is going to be a key for a breakthrough for some of you. Some of you are saying, what a bummer of a sermon Now listen, there's about to be a key that's about to be unleashed for some of you guys right now. Because when you begin to realize you're the worst of sinners and you quit judging the world and you quit pointing your finger and you quit giving out labels, 
and having this kind of um, bitter attitude towards others, but you just say, God, cleanse me. God, purify me. God, don't count my sins against me. Lord, I believe in Jesus. I believe He is the substitute for my sin. When that humility comes on your life, something powerful is going to happen. Because number three, a humble salvation leads to more grace. A humble salvation leads to more grace. Now, stay with me for a second. Something happened to me back in November, December, that that has changed my life, I believe, or has just brought a new awareness of, of this biblical concept. I was having coffee with another pastor in the city, Darren Miller, at Victory Assembly, and he, he brought up a point to me about humility. He quoted James 4.6, and James 4.6 says this. It's a paraphrase of another scripture in Proverbs. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You understand that word oppose is talking almost like a boxer in a boxing ring. An adversary. That when we have pride in our life, God literally will fight against our progress or success. Can I tell you that is a scary thing? And I can count at least three to five times if I, if I sat here and really thought about it, that I have said statements of pride that I've had to correct myself because I literally did not want God to be against me. Now that's the negative part. But here's the part that's going to be a breakthrough for you. Here's the key to a breakthrough in your life. But gives grace to the humble. Now what does the word grace mean? Write this down if you're taking notes because you're not going to want to forget this. Grace means God's unmerited favor. God's undeserved favor. God's favor upon your life. That is not just salvation, though that is the ultimate favor of God. Amen? But what if you walk so humbly before the Lord that he gives more and more of His grace, more and more of His undeserved favor on your life. That's the thing about it. We say, well, you know what? I don't deserve a financial breakthrough. I don't deserve a new job. I don't deserve a second chance in my marriage. I don't deserve this new thing. or I don't deserve whatever it can be. It doesn't have to be material possessions, but we can put our mind around that easily. You might not deserve it, but what if you walk so humbly before the Lord? What you don't deserve, that favor comes upon your life. God is against you if you have pride, but He gives favor to the humble. So now you understand. And I want, I want the band to begin to make their way up here, the musicians who are going to participate in this part of the service, that if we can read verse 12 through 17 again, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying, something all of us should understand, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason... I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe and receive eternal life. Can I say this? 
Listen, guys, we are a display of His mercy. We are a display of His grace. We are a demonstration of His undeserved favor. That even though we have a propensity to sin, even though we have a lean to sin, even though even from birth that we have that pull to sin, because of Jesus, His undeserved favor has come upon our lives. And now we have the privilege of serving Him. He has given us strength because He has counted us faithful to Him. Now, and I love the end, verse 17, it says this, because of all that, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When you begin to realize how sinful you are with Christ, but how favored you are with Christ, then you say unto Him, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. This morning we're going to take communion together. And as you hear this beautiful song, I want you to take the elements and I want you to hold those. And then we're going to have a time together to humble ourselves before the Lord. We're going to humble ourselves as a community of faith. And we're going to thank God for His greatness of His salvation. We never tire of talking about it, singing about it, reenacting it through the representation of communion and celebrating His goodness because He is great and He has favored us. And today, we humble ourselves before Him. Rise up, O Lord, and He will.
I think that that part of the chorus sums up the end of that scripture. You and I were the chief of sinners, but now we have the undeserved favor of the Lord. We have, before we take communion, I want to make sure that every person in here has had that chance to receive the free gift of salvation, to cross the line of faith, to wholly trust in Jesus, to exchange your sin for his righteousness from move from being the chief of sinners to being highly favored of the Lord would you close your eyes with me that's you in this moment before we take the communion I want to make sure that your life is right with God I want to make sure that you have trusted him wholly and completely you've received his gift of salvation we're all going to pray here in a moment But I want to know, and more importantly, I think God wants to know if that's you. I'm looking to your right. And if you're in that section in the far right of your, your right of the room, say, I need to make that decision today. I need to make things right with the Lord. 
I need to become a Christian today. I need to know before I take this communion that my destiny is in heaven because of Jesus and not in hell. If that's you on the far right, raise your hand. Now, is there any? I'm looking in the middle section. I see that hand. Thank you, ma'am. Is there any other in the middle? In the middle section. I'm looking at the far left. Is there any? The far left. Everyone else's eyes are closed. Would you raise your hand if you're at the far left part of the room? Well, there's one today who's making this decision. But all of us need to recommit ourselves to Him and trust fully in His grace and His forgiveness. So would everybody in the congregation repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. But because of Jesus and His death and His resurrection, I receive Your free gift of eternal life. I believe in Jesus. I believe my sins are forgiven because of Jesus. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.